Well, hello everyone. Uh, I'm Jordan. I'm studying political science and history, and I'll be reading the Bible for us today. Our passage uh, is 1 Corinthians 2, and you'll find a copy of the reading in your handout. One Corinthians two, starting at verse one. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God has destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written... What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The Spirit, the person without the Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Well, the American theologian Carl Henry once wrote, to speak of an introduction to God or to the science of God, and some people are sure to look for the nearest exit. An introduction to sex techniques. Now, there's a bestseller or a manual on turning Dow Jones averages into a John Doe windfall. That's practical religion. That's heaven on earth. And I think he's right, isn't he? Uh, there's plenty of people, you may be one of them, who when you hear talk of knowing God, you're looking for the nearest exit. You might be doing it right now. Because knowing God it sounds maybe, maybe a little boring to some of us. Maybe we doubt that it's even possible. Can we really be introduced to God the way Carl Henry talks about? Is there such a thing as the science of God? It's a funny sort of phrase to us today, but 200 years ago it would have sounded quite normal. It's just knowing God. Knowing God, can it be done? Is it worth doing? On the one hand, we doubt it. But on the other hand... We live in an age of great religiosity. If there were hundreds, maybe even thousands of religions uh, in Paul's day in ancient Corinth, 
that we have never heard of or never even thought about. Well, surely there are hundreds today that he'd never even imagined. We've got Islam, Baha'i, Mormonism, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Church of Scientology. Uh, We could probably spend the rest of our time at public meeting brainstorming different religions that have come about in the last 2,000 years. And all of them claim to tell us something about God or ultimate reality. And some of them attract fairly substantial numbers of followers. Because we sense that there is something more to life than this. That there's something out there, something bigger, something beyond us. But we also sense that we're kind of cut off. We'd like to know it. We'd like to experience it. But we feel like there's this barrier that we need to break through if we want to get to know God. So on the one hand, we're fascinated with the religious, with the possibility of some kind of experience of God. But on the other hand, we're sceptical that it can actually occur. Can we really know God? And if so, how? Those of us who are Christian, well, we believe that you can know God, and yet it may well be that you feel like your spiritual life is kind of lacking, that you feel like there should be more to it than there actually seems. In our honest moments, we might wonder if we really do know God. Because shouldn't there be more sort of spring in our step, more sort of bounce in our stride, more width in our smile? Shouldn't there be something more to our spiritual lives? Is there, is there some book that all the other Christians are kind of clued in on that I missed when I was down at Kurong the last time? You know, the, the book that actually gives me the secret to breaking through and having that vibrant relationship with God that everyone else seems to talk about. Something that would help me break through the frustrations and enter into some kind of frictionless zone of relationship with God where everything feels great and the nagging sense that I've somehow missed out on something or I haven't quite made it just disappears. Well, the city of Corinth 2,000 years ago was, like UWA, a pretty multicultural place. Uh, Corinth, I'll show you a map of it, was on an isthmus that divides the Corinthian Gulf from the Saronic Gulf. And so instead of having to sail all the way around Achaia, you could stop off on one side of Corinth, hop off your boat, and either drag your boat across or just walk across to another boat, and you could hop on. And so it was a port city. It was a multicultural city. It was a place where people from all around the world would come, where they'd travel through. It was a city that was used to the arrival of pop philosophers and religious gurus, a city that welcomed them. After all, they didn't have any TV. What else are you going to do? You might as well go down to the forum and listen to what's happening. Why not head down to the Corinthian Writers Festival and hear the latest ideas on spirituality? Why not listen to a visiting lecturer at the University of Corinth and be dazzled by the latest theories of philosophy? Why not go and listen to someone who can lift your spirits, whose rhetoric can make your soul soar, who can tickle your mind and intrigue you? 
who can make your heart sing with the beauty of their words about God. And yet Paul says that when he came to Corinth, he did none of that. It wasn't his strategy at all. You can see it there in verse 1. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Paul didn't start selling tickets to his witty, erudite speeches at the Corinthian Writers' Festival. He gave no powerhouse lecture in the philosophy department. There was no religious extravaganza. He didn't pull the crowds with his charisma and charm. He left the smoke machines and the light show behind. And you think, why? Why would you do that? Isn't the whole point to pull a crowd so they can hear the gospel? Isn't that the way you get people to listen to the gospel? Impress them, dazzle them, put on a show. Do some powerful sermons, do some witty banter on the talk shows. Have a well-reasoned philosophical case for why people ought to believe in God. And yet, Paul does none of that. It's not simply that he can't. He won't. Verse 2, he says he deliberately decided not to. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's weird, isn't it? Why, if God has given you the brains, and he'd clearly given them to Paul, why wouldn't you batter your opponents into submission? Why wouldn't you crush them in philosophical argument? If you've got miraculous gifts, and Paul did, why wouldn't you put on a show? Why wouldn't you blow people's minds? If you've got natural charm and charisma, we don't know whether Paul had that or not, but why wouldn't you use it to create a following, to gather a crowd? Why ditch all of that and just stick to Jesus Christ and him crucified? It seems insane. I mean, if you're a Christian, have you ever had the experience where you've finally summoned up the courage to talk to your non-Christian friend about Jesus? Or if you're not a Christian, you've heard the gospel from a Christian friend and while they've been explaining it or while you've been explaining it, You've been struck by just how ridiculous and implausible the whole thing sounds. Yeah, so, you know, this this guy from uh, 2,000 years ago, he's actually the son of God, although he was a carpenter um, in Israel, and he came came to die. So he died on a cross uh, and, and, and rose again, and you need to believe in him. Uh, so that you won't go to hell because God's angry at your sin. Yes, sin. Um, He's angry about that. And you really, really need to trust in Jesus. And you think, no one is going to believe this. (laughs) This is is nuts. How am I going to persuade anyone this? They're looking at me like I'm from another planet. It just seems so unimpressive compared to what other people have to offer. The great pagan temples of Corinth towering over the city. The political power of Islam over whole nations. The intellectual firepower of the new atheism with Richard Dawkins and the late great Christopher Hitchens. I mean, even Scientology has Tom Cruise. (laughs) What's Christianity got to offer? A God king who got crucified? How does that impress anyone? 
I mean, yeah, sure, we talk about Jesus rising from the dead again, back to new life. But you've got to ask, what kind of God king would let himself get crucified in the first place? Why would he die? And why would he die such a humiliating death? No wonder Paul says in verse 3 that I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. Paul was scared. (laughs) He was scared of preaching the gospel. Scared that he might not be up to the task. Scared that people might not believe him. And yet, he deliberately chose not to use eloquent speech. Not to use the philosophical wisdom and reasoning. Although the Corinthians would have loved that. They would have come down for the show. Instead, he says in verse 4, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Why not? Why would you abandon the rhetoric and the philosophy that Paul could potentially have used? Well, if Paul had come with wise speeches, with the sort of rhetoric that the Corinthians loved, where would the attention have gone? Who would they have been impressed by? Well, they would have been impressed by Paul, wouldn't they? That's what impresses you about a great speaker. You, you think they're incredible. They're amazing. That, that speech was magnificent. That logic, just superb. And worse, they would have thought that they were pretty smart for believing it that they had good taste, that they could identify this as a beautiful speech, that they were wise, that they could grasp the philosophy. Worse than that, that they could grasp God, that they could master him like you master mathematics or chemistry. How awesome are we? we? We are the kings of the world. We've understood everything. We've even understood God. We've, we've mastered him through our own brilliance and wisdom. But Paul won't do it because God can't be mastered by us and he will not allow himself to be known in a way that would just puff up our arrogance and pride. That would just add to the problem. Our fundamental problem is that we are self-centred. We want to be rulers. And any claim to a solution that only exacerbates the problem cannot work. So God chose to make himself known through Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus dying in our place, paying our penalty and puncturing our pretensions. We like to think that we are pretty smart, us humans, but we never saw the cross coming. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle never glimpsed it. We like to think that we are pretty good, you know, Most people are basically all right, pretty good. If we try too hard to be decent people, we'll be okay. But the cross actually shows that we deserve death. Christ died in our place. It's what we deserve. We like to think that we can earn God's approval, but actually the cross shows us that the only way to know God is through trusting in his gift of his son. Because if God could have reconciled us to himself by just saying, look guys, pull your socks up, try a bit harder, then he was a fool to send his son to die for us, wasn't he? He should have just sent a message. 
Try harder. But we can't do it ourselves. All our powerful stuff, all our eloquence, all our human wisdom, all our philosophy, they don't actually bring us into relationship with God. But the weakness of the cross, Jesus Christ and him crucified, well, that does puncture our pride and it pays our penalty and it does bring us to God. So when Paul came to Corinth, he chose a method that fit the message. Not power preaching, not crushing opponents with human wisdom and philosophy or dazzling them with eloquence, but just a plain, simple explanation of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Crucified in weakness and humiliation, terrified and trembling, proclaimed by a weak, humiliated, terrified, trembling apostle. An approach that looks weak and foolish, but turns out to be only as weak and foolish as the cross. And see it there in verse 4 again. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Demonstration of the Spirit's power, what does that mean? Um, If you're anything like me, your immediate thought is signs and wonders. It's miracles. That's the demonstration of the Spirit's power. But actually, I think if you read 1 Corinthians, that's not it. Because back in chapter 1, Paul said, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. He's not on about signs and wonders, miracles, any more than he is about wisdom. No, the demonstration of the Spirit's power is not miracles, it's not human wisdom. It's the fact that when Paul preached the message of the cross, just plainly, just simply, God worked in the Corinthians so that they believed it. And believing it, they came to know God. And that's the real miracle. That is the real wisdom. See it there in verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. (laughs) Ah, silly. (laughs) Siri, clearly not one of the mature. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. But not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom. A mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul's saying this message of the cross, it had been a mystery. It had been hidden. God hadn't revealed it. But now he has. He's made it known. But no one had guessed it was coming. Certainly not the rulers of this age, or they wouldn't have gone about crucifying God. They wouldn't have crucified the Son of God. That is a bad strategy. But now, verse 9, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. 
That is, what the prophet Isaiah, writing 800 years earlier, had said no one ever imagined. No one's got any idea what God has got planned. Well, says Paul, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. What God had kept hidden in the past, he has now made known. By his spirit, he's revealed the cross and the significance of the cross. The death of his son in our place, taking the punishment we deserve so we can be right with God. And the point is, that's not a philosophical deduction. That's not something that you can work out from first principles. It's not something that you believe just because you're swept up in the eloquence of a speaker. The death of Jesus is a historical event. And its significance is only made known by God's spirit opening your mind to understand who he is and what he's done. The cross actually makes God known. It reveals him as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God who loves us so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We actually know who God is when we believe the message of the cross. And when we hold on to it for dear life, it saves us. It saves us from the judgment we deserve. But that only happens when the spirit is at work inside you. It might sound a little weird, but actually it's kind of a normal everyday experience. Um, Because you have that experience with people, don't you? That if you look at them from the outside, then, well, you can look at them, you can experiment on them, you can pinch them or poke them or prod them. You can spend hours reading Wikipedia articles about them and yet still not really know them. What you need them to do is to reveal themselves to you, to share their thoughts, to speak their mind, or to use Paul's words, to share their spirit so that you can connect with them and you go from just sort of reading Wikipedia articles about them to going, oh, I get it. I know you. I know what you're on about. I know who you are now. And Paul's saying it's the same with God. You can see it there in verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. You can, in a sense, observe God from the outside. If you were there in Israel 2,000 years ago, you could have seen God in the flesh. You could have met God the Son just by looking at Jesus. You could have heard him speak. You could have followed him around. You could have even touched him. Today we can do that. We can read the Gospels. We can find out about Jesus. But... In a sense, it's still kind of observing God from the outside. There were plenty of people who met Jesus on earth, who talked to him, even people who lived with him, but never really knew him. Even his own disciples didn't really get him. But when God shares his spirit with you, then the light bulb goes on. What had been external suddenly becomes internal. 
what had been abstract and kind of unreal suddenly becomes concrete and very real indeed. What had seemed impersonal and ridiculous turns into something personal and brilliant and wonderful and suddenly everything makes sense. Uh, A girl I know who uh, used to be part of CU before she graduated, um, she came to uni not being a Christian, but she had a Christian friend who'd been sharing the gospel with her, who'd read the Bible with her, and this girl, Sarah, had been thinking about it and had been asking her questions, and this had gone on for about a year or so, just trying to find out more about God and trying to weigh up whether this Christianity thing was real or not. Anyway, she uh, was over in Sydney for something and was flying back and she thought, well, this is it. Uh, This is the last chance. I'm going to pick up a Bible and I'm going to read a gospel and if God doesn't make it clear to me, if he doesn't reveal himself to me now, that's it, I'm out, I'm leaving it. And as she read the gospels, suddenly the light bulb went on and she realised that she did believe it. It wasn't the first time that she'd read Luke's Gospel. She'd read it, uh, read it a couple of times before. She'd asked lots of questions, but why did she suddenly believe it then? She had no new information in a sense. But the Spirit turned the light on. God shared his Spirit with her and she believed. He enabled her to grasp subjectively what she'd already read about objectively. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand things freely given us by God. It's God's spirit, says Paul, not human wisdom or eloquence that enables us to grasp the truth of the cross. And so, says Paul in verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. We're not on about philosophy or tips for how to live a better life. No, we're on about God. And what God is on about is the cross. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because it's that and none of the other stuff that we might turn to that actually brings us to know him. Not from the outside, but from the inside. The message of God the Son crucified in our place illuminated to us by God the Spirit. That brings us to know God. Not the God of philosophy, uh, not God the abstract concept, the source of all being, the unmoved mover, not the God of my imagination and my personal desires made in my own image, but God the Father, the Father of Jesus and the Father of us if we put our trust in Jesus to whom we're reconciled by the cross, united to Christ by his spirit. Paul's saying that's actually how you know God. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, on the other hand, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. That is, the world apart from God might look on us as foolish. Where's your, where's your philosophy? Where's your theories? Where's your logical deductions? Where's your mystical experiences? 
where's your miracles? But they're actually in no position to do that because they don't know God. And if you trust in Jesus, you do. And as you look around the world, you can't help but see how messed up it is. How badly wrong people go apart from God. Not that Christians are uh, are foolproof or don't do stupid things at times. Don't do things that are wrong, even. But you realise as you look around the world that people out there, they've got no idea what they're doing. I mean, we're surrounded by some seriously smart people, brilliant thinkers, writers, speakers, and yet for all their brilliance, they've got no idea about God. They don't know God. And if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ and him crucified, then you do. That might sound terribly arrogant, but actually there's nothing that we can be proud of because it's not about our intellect. It's not about our achievements that lead us to know God. It's purely his grace, his kindness that we don't deserve. We can know God and yet not be arrogant about it. Because if you've grasped the cross of Christ, if you've taken hold of that for yourself, then you really do know God. You have his spirit. Your eyes have been opened. And you see God yourself. Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Paul asks, quoting Isaiah 40. And I think the implied answer is us. We have. Not that we instruct God, but we have understood the mind of the Lord because by the Spirit we have the mind of Christ. By God the Spirit we've believed in God the Son who died for us and so we know God the Father. But here's the thing. I think lots of us don't believe it. I even find myself not believing it at times. Just like many of us think that we need to be better at philosophy or smarter or or better speakers to be able to share the message of the cross. I reckon a lot of us, both Christian and not, are walking around with the sneaking suspicion that there must be some kind of secret knowledge, some kind of special trick or technique to knowing God. And if I could just get a hold of it, if I could just find the right book or learn the right practice, then I'd have some kind of spiritual breakthrough and reach this higher plane of relationship with God which is certainly the impression you get from most Christian bookstores. The message of the cross just seems too plain, too simple. But actually, that suspicion on our part is wrong. The mystery has been revealed. God's secret knowledge has been made known. And it's nothing more nor less than the message of the cross. If you believe that, if you entrust yourself to Jesus, then you really do know God. You know him infinitely better than the smartest, most educated person in the world who, for all their worldly wisdom, has rejected the wisdom of God. Do you want to get to know God? Do you want to get to know him better? I hope you do. But how do you do it? Well, it's nothing secret. It's not a technique or a trick. It's just reading God's word 
and thinking it through in the light of the cross. Asking God to help you understand it by his spirit. How does this bit point to Jesus? How do these bits fit together in the light of the cross? And the thing is, I reckon that as you do that, you'll actually find yourself growing in your knowledge of God. That you'll find yourself growing in your love for him, in your awe of him, in your sense of his reality and presence and his goodness and grace. I reckon you'll be moved to pray more, that you'll trust him more, that you'll want to live for him more, that you'll want to tell others of the God who made himself known and who reconciled us to him by the cross. That's how you know God. Let's pray to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for making yourself known to us through the cross of your son, Jesus. And Father, please uh, help us to resist the temptation to look elsewhere, um, but to cling to the cross, to grow in our understanding of it, our appreciation of it, our knowledge and our love of Jesus, your son, who reveals you to us. And we ask it for his sake. Amen. We've got a little bit of time left over. Um, so why don't you uh, turn to the person next to you uh, and ask them, have they got any sort of reflections or questions uh, about that? I'll give you 30 seconds and then uh, you can ask me questions. Anyone got a question they want to ask or a thought or a reflection? So uh, what will it be like to know God in the new creation? Well, Paul talks elsewhere about now we see as through, as in a mirror, uh, darkly. It's, it's not quite, it's a bit unclear uh, in a sense. We don't know God as fully in that sense as we would like to, but then we'll know him face to face. So uh, at the moment, I guess you could say it's a little bit like uh, a long distance relationship kind of thing. Um, and when you have that kind of relationship, you don't go, oh, that's cool, I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, you actually look forward to meeting the person face to face. But 
you don't go elsewhere for the relationship, if that makes sense. You keep actually talking to that person and hearing from them uh, as you read God's word. It's not about, yeah, maybe there's some other way I could get to know them, like if I meet that person or, yeah, does that, is that helpful? Yeah.